Welcome to the intersection of theater and even more theater. You have achieved stage grok. Stage Grok, the roaming theater podcast coming to you from the Geographic Center of the American Theater. I'm your host, Scott Miller. Today, I talk with Broadway actor Jeff McCarthy on the phone from New York. Okay, well, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, the main thing I want to do is probe your memories of your in town. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess the first thing I want to ask is, how early did you come into the process? We, I joined up oh, when they started doing marketing uh, readings of it, the marketing department before the off-Broadway production on 54th Street when we played in a, um, it's a theater, but it used to be a courthouse and it's directly upstairs uh, <laughs> from a police station. So you literally, the audience had to come through a police station to get to the <laughs> theater. Which That's awesome. Couldn't, it was fantastic. Yeah, and it couldn't was, have been better. Was your in town pretty much in the form that we know it now? Yeah, yeah, it was. I think there was one song about going to Rio that was cut after the <laughs> the first reading of it we did. Yeah, I think it seems like every every musical written by the old Borscht Belt sensibility has a song about going to Rio. So I think they, <laughs> that turned into the Cladwell number instead. How funny. Well, so what was your first reaction to this material? All right. I I really hated it, and I wasn't <laughs> the only one. This is a true story, and I've told this before. I don't know if I've told it in an interview. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was really hard to get a, a beat on it from reading it. And even yeah. when we did this, this uh, the two different readings we did before we went into production, I, I remember distinctly coming away from those and walking towards the train station and thinking, please, something else come along, you know? <laughs> and, and, and then we, but nothing did. And we went into production for it and we were about a week into rehearsals and John Cullum and I were off in this little anteroom to the side and we were both just bemoaning the thing. We hated it. So did he. And I said, why did you do it, John? You know? And he said, well, my manager said he'd seen a, reading of it and thinks it's going to be a big hit. He said, why did you do it? And I said, my agent said, you know, the Dodgers and the Rocket Group and all this. And literally, we came out of this side room, and they were, were staging Snuff That Girl. Mm. And we stood there, and about literally two or three minutes later, we looked at each other like, oh, all of a sudden, it started making sense to everybody, I think, in the room. Right. And from there, it just, we were like, you know, we just started falling in love with it. But the first day of rehearsals for the off-Broadway production, um, they came to us and said, now, regarding your, your uh, one week out, or your two week out, and we all looked at each other and thought, no, the contract was a one week out, because everybody wanted out of this thing. You know? 
And so we <laughs> clarified that with them. But I mean, an indication of how everyone felt about it. So, right. Except maybe yeah. Spencer Caden, who'd done the the uh, the uh, French production, which I guess was pretty great, but I never saw it. So. And w- was she yeah. the only person who came from that very first production? Yeah. It was written for her, actually. And yeah, she oh, was the nice. only one that was left over. You know what, what's out. interesting, hearing you talk about that, uh, we just did Three Penny here, and I was reading a lot about it. Mm. And apparently the lead actor, the director, a lot of people working on the very, you know, the original Three Penny in 1928 had no idea how it worked. They were convinced it was terrible. It was going to end their careers, <laughs> you know. And I, it's just yeah. funny that you're in town, which is an obvious descendant, kind of had yeah, the right. same effect on people. <laughs> it's true. The difference is I still look at Three Penny and wonder what the hell it is. <laughs> well, I just did it, and I feel that way, too. Yeah. Uh, well, so, so talk about, you put this show in front of audiences for the first time. Did they immediately get it? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it was by, I remember, by the time, yeah. I, I saw it right yeah. after it had moved to Broadway. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, it was clearly like nothing else I'd ever seen. But but the audience was completely tuned in from the first yeah. moments of the show. Yeah. I mean, how soon on Broadway did you see it? Because that was right. I mean, we were to open on the 13th of September, 2001, right. two days after. Right. I think I was up there like in early November. Oh, OK. So things had settled down a little bit by then. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I know. Audiences ate it up like crazy, and it was everyone. You know, as these things happen, all the actors got more and more confident with it. Right uh, after, you know, but when we were off Broadway, it was it was the ticket. It was on Broadway as well. But I mean, we had every friggin' celebrity in the book coming there in this little <laughs> tiny theater that only sat about a hundred people. So. Right. It was it was an exciting time for sure. Well, so here's something, and I don't you may may not be able to do this. Describe the the acting style. It it really is a a different kind of animal. Yeah. Well, John Rando very wisely when we went into rehearsals when we were just sitting around the table. I remember he said, uh, "Just play it like it's an episode of Law and Order." He said that to everybody. You know. Right. Right. That makes and, sense. Just play it straight. And it was true. Greg Codus, I don't know if you ever talked to him, you know, who wrote the thing, basically, yeah. except the music. Yeah. He's very, very dry. And, and <laughs> you you don't know if he's joking or not. And, you know, my favorite comedy stuff is Christopher Guest and all that. And so yeah. oh, they're great. the fact that he, he, John Randall wanted it played so, you know, close to the vest and so dryly, I thought, oh, this is just exactly what I've been hoping for, you know? So, and, and every time a new actor would come into the Broadway production after running for, you know, a year or so, everyone would come in and, and, and it would take them a while to figure out how to do it, to not get in the way of the humor. Cause it's a particular, yeah. very surprisingly delicate uh, matter. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, we worked on it here with, with New Line, um, and so I got to direct it. And I, I felt very ah. fortunate that I had seen you guys do it because I, I just yeah. totally understood what it was going for. Um, but but it is a, it's a difficult piece to get right. And I, and I think now yeah. that, you know, everybody's doing it, I think there are a lot of people who are doing it very big and wacky. And, I, I you know, right, I'm sure right. it's funny that way, but I don't think it's as funny that way. I agree. I agree. And I think that... 
he is Greg Coase himself. He's just the driest. You know, <laughs> you, you just say the words, and it basically... I mean, when we would do that, when we'd remove ourselves and our showboat tendencies and all that, we would find laughs in there that we didn't even know existed when you just simply laid it out to the audience to... Uh, it means trusting the audience, you know? Right. And, and, and at least in New York City and I guess St. Louis... On the road, I did it after uh, we closed in New York. I went out and joined up in Seattle, and um, they ate it up like there. Then we moved down 300 miles down to Portland, Oregon, and it's a little healthier social climate there, and they don't need comedy as much. (laughs) And it was an entirely different response, whereas Seattle, for whatever reason, you know, they they dug it, but Portland, well, we we're, we're evolved. We don't need comedy to heal us the way they do 300 miles north from here. That's funny. So, yeah. Um, it was. I mean, I'm kind so, of not exaggerating. It was pretty right. radical difference. So you, know. you guys were supposed to open on Broadway right after September 11. Um, yeah. What What was What was that? I mean, I'm I'm sure it was kind of horrific just being in New York, but to to be about to open this wacky comedy and <laughs> I mean, it must have been incredibly yeah. weird. It was very, very weird. And, you know, there are the jokes about people falling off buildings in the show, right? Right, right. So we had to, we trimmed, we lost a couple of those jokes um, that were, we, we all loved it, you know, but after 9-11 and the videos and photographs of people jumping off the building, yeah, yeah. we had to get rid of those. And we lost them forever. That was the end of it. I mean, some how, of them we couldn't cut. How soon uh, did you actually open then? We We started... Previews on on the thirteenth. Wow! Did we? Uh, yeah, I don't. I think. Well, maybe that was the opening. I don't remember exactly whether we opened on the thirteenth. No, we were supposed to open on the thirteenth, and we moved it a week later. I think it was. Yeah. And and were audiences at all hesitant to to let go and and we, laugh and have fun? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. we did. Pre- Form on the 13th. I don't know if you, you know, Rudy Giuliani uh, asked all the Broadway shows to get right back to it, you know. Right, right. And uh, it was a pretty small crowd on the 13th. And they were, yeah, they, it was, everyone was in shock, basically. Yeah. We were downstairs before the show started, you know, with our arms around each other, everyone just sobbing. I mean, it was John Carafa, our choreographer, had been down there feeding people all afternoon at, down at the World Trade Center site and man, it was it was incredible. But by the end of that evening on the 13th, people were laughing and waiting for us outside and saying thank you so much for you know a little wow. laughter here. And it took you know a couple of weeks to really get back up to speed with the audience. But well, I'm, I remember it and, in and it Lewis. threatened to close the show. Also, it, it threatened you know because who wanted right. this crazy little musical called Urinetown? What you know, that was a tough sell to begin with. So. And it did close a lot of shows, right? Yeah, I think it did. I think it I did. Mean, there were quite a few that closed after that. I, I remember yeah. sitting here in St. Yeah. Louis and seeing uh, Giuliani and seeing commercials and, you know, come back to New York. And uh, right. I remember I had I had just been there in March and had seen Bat Boy, which I loved. Um, and I decided yeah. I had to come back. I owed Broadway something and I needed to come back. Yeah. So I came back up in November, saw Bat Boy again, saw You're in Town some other shows. Wow. Um, but I really kind of felt an obligation. Like I needed to go back there for you guys 
you know? Mm. Uh, well, that's great. I was actually offered to do Bat Boy uh, and, and chose here in Town Home for it. <laughs> oh, fine. That was a good call, it turns out. Yeah. Well, it was. And so, so, how long did the show production run? contract? Two and a half or two and three quarter wow. years. That's terrific. Like that. Yeah. For that made the money back. Weird show. I know. And we t- there there was talk about moving it uh, because they had to tear that whole building down. You know, the Henry Miller became oh. the Stephen Sondheim Theater, and that right, right. the building that was over it, uh, or the building that's now over it, is the the big, huge, brand new Bank of America building. Right. But that whole block was owned by um, oh, what's the name of the family? The famous, you know, the guy that's murdered all these people in this. <laughs> oh, right. This on on the yeah. You know who I mean? Yeah, I can't think of the name, but that family owns that whole block, and uh, they were going to tear down the Henry Miller and just leave the facade and build a new theater around uh, around it, build a new building over it, and that's what happened. So we had to move, but it was it was getting towards the end of the run, and so I think they cashed it in and decided to forget it. So you're in town, finally closes. I, I, did you stick with it through the run? I, I did, but I came and went a couple of times and did some right. other stuff. Maybe and then the Muni, was, I don't remember. Was that ever, was Lockstock ever, you know, a problem? <laughs> Were you ever stuck in the kind of weird arch comedy stuff? Oh, after that? Oh, yeah. Shit, yes. They, yeah. They, I mean, they, this business is so hateful that way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I would be called in to play either policemen or narrators, you know? Funny. I, it, it took a long time. I mean, I did Pirate Queen, I don't know, back in 2005, and I had this long, wick, white hair with a white beard, and I thought, that's it. I'm grandfather from now on. <laughs> so that took a couple of years to knock that out. <laughs> this, this, is, this is just ridiculous, isn't it? That's but, funny. yeah, Lockstock was, had its own limitations. Yeah. What, what Would you also say that, that Lockstock helped move your career forward? I, I yeah, surely yeah. in the long run. I you know, I hear from people all the time about, you know, how much they enjoyed it and all that. But yeah. uh, at the time, no, it felt because I didn't get a Tony nomination. It 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 was a very painful time. I was at the end of a marriage and, oh. and uh I didn't get this nomination that everyone like, Whoa, what? It made yeah. no sense to anybody that that didn't yeah. happen. Nancy Puzzioni, or whatever her name is, the casting director of Manhattan Theater Club, said every season there's one, and Nathan Lane got it for Love, Valor, Compassion. Every year there's somebody that's left out, and you're the one this year. <laughs> it, was, it was rough. But yes, of course, it you know, I mean, it, it helped my career, for sure. But it, it, at the time, it just felt like a black hole in space, you know, when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so I, wanna, I, I, I wanna, don't give a shit about awards, but that one hurt. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I want to talk about yeah. a more recent project, uh, Southern Comfort. Yeah. Um, yeah. T- first, talk a little bit about what is the show. Well, it's based on a documentary by the same name about three transgender couples that live down in the woods outside of Atlanta, Georgia, kind of living in trailers and such. And they just want to be left alone. There's nothing showbiz about their existence, you know, like right. kinky boots or anything. Right. They're real people. Um, and uh, 
in the course of it, the central character is Robert Eads, who was apparently a famous person in the transgender community. He would go down yeah. to the Southern Comfort Conference, which happened in Atlantic back uh, in, in past years. He was sort of a, a famous person in that culture that helped people, you know, move forward and right. brave it, brave the, the transition and all. And I fall in love with Robert Eads. Lola Cola is the character I play. Who's a, these are real people. Right. And um, although with a fake name, Lola Cola, surely. <laughs> but Robert dies of ovarian cancer in the course of the story. So it's, and we wow. let go of him, but he inspires all of us to live our lives. You know, it's a, it's yeah. a beautiful thing. And we, we just closed it at the public last week or 10 days ago. And, uh, but our producer, Kate Hathaway, who's Anne's mom is uh, fully committed to moving it uptown next spring. So we'll, that's cool. We're looking, yeah. Yeah. It's very well, I've, I've talked to a number of people who saw it, who just thought it was wonderful and beautiful and powerful. And I mean, just can't say enough nice things about it. Yeah. I mean, it's it scared plenty of people as well, you know, and people were <laughs> put off by it and you know, left in the middle of it and all that. But yeah, yeah. for those, the initiated or the, the um, tolerance, open-hearted people, it, it was pretty effective, I think. And And so we think the show will have some more life. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the plan, awesome. and she's, you know, she's very well connected, and uh, uh, Kate Hathaway was actually in the ensemble of Les Mis on the road for years, oh, nice. and she was, you know, yeah, and then she went on to uh, have a couple children, one of which was Anne, oh, and right. uh, now she, she produced that thing um, about Anne Richards that played Lincoln Center a few years ago. Oh, right, right, with, yeah. Uh, yeah. She produced that. She produced, or at least invested in a couple of other things. But this, she's very passionate about the future for this show. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I want to ask you one last thing. Um, I have been um, declaring for a while now that we're in a new golden age of musical theater, and I yeah. really think it started with Bat Boy and You're in Town and Violet and Floyd Collins and all those shows um, in mid late nineties. Um, and I'm just curious if, if you think the same thing and, and somebody who's up there in the midst of it all, if it feels that way. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, you're in town definitely brought the sense of humor. You know, we were all watching Saturday Night Live all those years, and, <laughs> and, but the humor on Broadway was always this retro kind of, you know, very square left yeah. over from the 1940s, very conservative. And suddenly <laughs> you're in town kicked it in the ass, you know, and then came Avenue Q and then came, you know, the Mormon musical and the producers yeah. and all those, well, producers came around the same time as you're in town. But yeah, yeah I think it helped move it forward quickly, uh, like a jump cut of about 20 years or 25 years. Yeah. And now, you know, of course, Hamilton's breaking, you know, busting everything wide open again. Oh, Anything goes. And it's it's a fun, fantastic time for the musical. Southern Comfort yeah. is, is, is its own. I mean, it's, it's groundbreaking in the, in the subject matter is, hasn't really been addressed uh, in a compassionate right. way the way this production does. But right, and and this is something covers a, a serious show, right? I mean, this yeah, is not a lighthearted yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, there's plenty of humor in it, but yeah, it's right. it's it's kind of a mournful thing of letting go uh, of this person who dies in the course of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
If you haven't seen the documentary, you can Southern Comfort documentary. Put that in your Google, and it'll come up. Uh, not on Netflix, not on anything. It's I think Snag Films. It's what it's called, but you can you can stream it immediately. And it's it's it blew my mind five years ago when I first saw it. I knew nothing, very little about the transgender community right. culture. Right. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. And so, Lola so, Cola, who I play, came to the final performance. Came oh, how from, nice! Uh, Decatur, Georgia. Yeah. And did she, did she love it? She did. Yeah. She's very sophisticated. Um, I'll be honest. A couple of people that are in the documentary came up when we did it at Cap Twenty One, a little workshop production five years ago. Yeah. And they were freaked out by it because we contrived this plot for one of the characters is debating whether to get phalloplasty, you know, uh, which is, you know, basically getting an artificial penis. Right. And uh, they were so uh, offended that we'd chosen that plot line for that character because that guy in real life had died uh, a year or two earlier of a brain tumor and would never have considered such a thing. So, right, right. But they were people that probably maybe had never seen a play before or yeah. <laughs> very little of it. Right. And they didn't understand. Well, Lola came and she's been around the world and is much more <laughs> urbane and, and she <laughs> totally got it and really loved the whole thing. So that was a really wonderful evening. That's cool. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. This is, this has really been cool. Thanks. My pleasure. I hope to come back to the Muni. I'm trying to get in with Mike Isaacson. I used to, I was there for about 20 years on and off, did all sorts of things. And, and then things changed hands there and uh, I don't know him so well. He's offered me a couple of jobs that I haven't been able to do it, but I, well, I, I the Muni in the summertime a lot. I tell you, we all feel like the Muni is better than it's ever been. Uh, Isaacson That's is what I've heard. just really, really on top of it. And it's just bringing amazing artists in and doing such great work. It's really cool. Great. That's fabulous. Yeah, he, yeah. he is a sophisticated guy. And he's, what, the head producer on Fun Home, right? Yeah, he's right. doing great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks very much. Thank you for joining us. This is Scott Miller. Now you, too, have achieved stage rock. See you next time.